Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Other tone, 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 tone. This is a true story. Drapetomaniacs uses dramatizations, primary sources, and the research of black historians to depict real events and historical figures. Today's episode features Brandon Victor Dixon, Angelica Ross, Panama Jackson, and Charlemagne the God. What is America? Is it a plot of dirt littered with the discarded bones of those who stood in the way of manifest destiny? Is it an assemblage of huddled masses yearning to breathe free? Is it a constitution or an aggregate of principles and ideals? Is it an American flag flying in front of a Cadillac dealership? Or is America simply a few lines on a map? Borders that somebody scrawled on a parchment? Hi, I'm Michael Harriet, and this is... And I'm Quan. What's up? It's your boy, Handsome Johnny. Debonair Discoverer, the cutest conquistador. not yet. We're still doing the intro. Oh, damn. Lo siento. My bad. You know what? Silencio, Juanito. I'll wait for the cue. Gracias, Johnny. As I was saying... Do not be clouded by the shackles of process. If you only used your third eye... Not that... You would overstand. The original man is from Africa. Everything that descended from him is African. Steve, we gotta get through the intro. Wait, really? Everything? I don't think that sounds right. Uh, hi, uh, sorry, just checking. Did you get the copies of the class action my family, I, I mean, clients, are currently filing? Look, I have the documents right here. Why? It's going to take a lot longer than two minutes to wrap this up, and you seem kind of unprepared. We literally just started. There is no stunt. No, King of the South before well, T.I. My family, clients, my clients, the enslaved Africans, demand an end to the charade, and that subsequently, you declared them the winners Look, of- everybody on mute. I'm world-famous white peopleologist Michael Harriet, and this is Dreptomaniac's Unshackled History. In this week's episode, we unwhitewash the first half of the true story of the first African Americans. You'll hear from them soon. But first, we gotta come to a consensus on how we define this country. Cause if what we refer to as black history includes the jigsaw puzzle currently known as the United States of America, then the 20 and odd Africans who arrived in Virginia in 1619 were more than a century late to the cookout. All right, is everybody good? Okay, I'm gonna unmute y'all now. No interruption. There is no Aruno stunt, no king of the South. Who are you hollering at? Fun fact. I was also the first black man to slap the taste out of someone's mouth. So. I'm pretty sure that's intentional infliction of emotional abuse. And serio, bro? You're doing a lot right now. Like, mucho. Remember Samuel Cartwright, that fake scientist who coined the phrase drapetomania to describe the mental disorder at the root of enslaved Africans' desire for freedom? Well, when Samuel Cartwright came up with that caucastic idea, Africans had been fighting for freedom in America for three centuries. The category, Black history that's not taught in February. Here's the clue. 
the extra special passengers aboard the White Lion and the Treasurer. Who was the first African-American to arrive in the English colonies? That would be correct. Wrong. Contrary to popular belief, the first Africans didn't come to the place that would become known as America 400 years ago. It was 500 years ago. By the time Virginia Governor George Yearly and Supply Officer Abraham Piercy negotiated a dirt cheap price for the human cargo described as 20 and some odd Negroes, Black people had already participated in a slave rebellion, a civil rights protest, and a cross-country escape to freedom. Welcome to this very special edition of Your Freedom is in Jeopardy, the first African-American. Tonight, you will hear three people present their cases for why they deserve to be considered. The first African-American! Actually, I prefer the term Black American. Hey, not now. Will the title go to the cutest conquistador ever, to set sail across the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean, Juan Garrido. One thing you should know about me, solo uno. Okay, I'm a Scorpio. I don't know what that means exactly, but I know it's vital information para las chicas. I mean, I enjoy riding out with my homies on doomed expeditions, but I love to kick it with the ladies in my spare time. I'm debonair like that. I'm dapper. I'm comely. I can make your mother blush and your rich auntie's blood rush. I'm smooth like silkworm juice and make booties move like your bowels loose. Wait, is cholera still around? Or will it be snatched by the fiercely overworked spokesperson representing the collective of the enslaved Africans who organized the first civil rights revolt? What was the question? Uh, right, what do I do? Um, well, that depends on what the fam, the collective needs. I'm a firstborn child of African immigrants with no boundaries and endless generational trauma. So not only am I every kind of lawyer there is, but I'm also an accredited accountant, an engineer, and a medical doctor licensed in all 51 states, which tracks because I've also become the official, unofficial family therapist. Oh, uh, the aunties, they want Uber Eats. Do you guys have snacks? I skipped breakfast. Y'all said there'd be snacks. Or will it go to our third and final contestant, Mustafa Azamore, also known as Esteban the Moor, a.k.a. Black Steve, the peace-loving, smooth-talking, dashiki-collecting explorer who saw more of the North American continent before most of the Jamestown settlers were even born. I didn't say I invented baths, brother. All I'm saying is that before me, America wasn't taking baths. The sun poisoned did not bathe back then. And if the rumors about their legs are anything to go by, they're barely taking them today. You feel me, brother? Doing things first has always been my gift. My strident light has paved the way for many, especially my melanated brothers and Nubian sisters. So yes, I said Americans should start calling themselves African Azimoreans. Because despite being as meek, as a gentle river leading us out of Zion, I must speak the truth. There wouldn't be no America without Black Steve. Shukran. In your bowing, do I bow too or... Please don't. Right. Dear listener, we'll hear from each of our contestants. And once we've gotten all their stories, you will get to decide who you think was... The first African-Americans! Sounds easy enough, right? But... How do we define first? 
Is it simply an African who stepped foot in the place that we know as America? How long do they have to be here before they can be deemed an American? What if America didn't even exist yet? We'll continue after this break. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. What if millions of Black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only Black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of Black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. While the others split a single bag of Doritos backstage, let's get to know our first challenger, Juan Guerrero. Tell us about yourself, Johnny. Hola, what's good? My name is Juan Garrido. I'm originally from West Africa by way of Spain, by way of Portugal, by way of Puerto Rico, by way of Mexico. Suffice it to say, I've got a lot of frequent sailor miles. I've worked full-time as a conquistador since I was 15. I'm what folks would call fuying. Pretty, dashing, pretty dashing. Everybody calls me Johnny Handsome. Ask about me. No, for real. Ask. Michael, tell him. Juan Garrido actually factually translates to Handsome John in Spanish. Historians aren't sure if that's a name Garrido adopted when he converted to Christianity, which was the only way to become a conquistador, or it's possible that Garrido was the name of the person who enslaved him. Was that last part necessary? Some historians paint Garrido as an enslaved African, but Ricardo Alegria, a man commonly referred to as the father of Puerto Rican archaeology, he believed Juan to be the son of a West African king. Alegria's research is widely regarded as the most comprehensive on Garrido, but I like Alegria's other name, the Indiana Jones of Puerto Rico. In West West Africa, born and raised on the hot seas is where I spent most of my days. It says here that you moved to Portugal and eventually landed in Spain, where you converted to Christianity. Tell us a little bit about your youth. How does a black man become a conquistador? No say. I don't remember much. I was obviously young when I left my hometown, but I make my home wherever I choose to call home. There weren't any child labor laws then, but my father was the king. Portugal had the African trade routes locked down. So mi padre, the king. We get it, your daddy was a king. I am simply stating facts here. My father, the king, sent me overseas to educate myself and facilitate trade and- I expected this rhetoric from Black Steve and his kufi. Please, let us not be wrapped up in our own ideological ensnarementationism, hmm? That's fair. Confusing, but fair. Anyway. After moving to Spain and encountering so many people who didn't wash their legs, Garrido finally found a crew he could get down with. Man, I had never seen so many white people in my life. After a few years, I moved from Portugal to Spain and saw these swollen, shiny suits getting respect everywhere they went. 
I asked around and found out that they were explorers slash soldiers called conquistadors, who basically worked for the king. So I filled out an application and got the name Conquistador. Sounds magnificent, doesn't it? Plus, they got to keep all their frequent sailor miles. In 1503, at 15 years old, Garrido applied to join Juan Ponce de Leon's expedition to the New World, and they landed on Hispaniola's island. Ponce de Leon, whose name translates to Ponce of Leon, had just received his conquistador license working with another big-time explorer with a terrible glass door rating. You probably heard of him. Some white man named Christopher Columbus. A few weeks later, I got the call back and went in for an interview with him. I told Ponce to call me LL Cool J because the ladies love Cool Juan. He hired me, made me fill out some paperwork, and I've been his ride or die ever since. We can't prove that Juan secured romantic attention, but contemporaneous accounts note that Garrido joined Ponce on nearly every expedition. And according to our background check, in 1509, Garrido was one of the conquistadors who Ponce de Leon selected to go on a quest to the island of Borigen. Mr. Garrido, tell us about your first business trip with your new employer. I had never been on a cruise before, and my man P. Dizzy was obsessed with two things, gold and his wrinkles. I didn't judge him, though. I know the hueless folk age like banana peels, especially in tropical climates without sunscreen. The salt water and sea air can make you ashy. Not that I would know. I'm from Africa, so I used a little shea butter and I was good. I tried to get Ponce to use some, but he said he didn't need it. Listen, you can take the porcelain possum to water, but, you know, he kept talking about finding some fountain of youth. So I let it go. Garrido, Ponce de Leon, and the rest of the crew arrived at Borican, and the natives weren't having it. They were tired of the constant raping, pillaging, and enslavement, not to mention having their wealth hijacked by some off-brand white boys who weren't even from their hood. The indigenous Carib and Taino people joined forces and went to war against the armed robbers, but by then, the traveling bandits had renamed the island, which inspired an influx of Spanish thieves to come searching for treasure. I mean, how could any adventurer slash larcenist resist the temptation of a port of riches? Or as the Spanish conquistadors called it, Puerto Rico. We didn't find any gold, though. It was barely a new world. It was just another place white people didn't know about. But no importa. I couldn't care less. I was young, very pretty, and sailed all over the world with my Spanish amigos. Plus, I could call my fan back in Africa if I wanted some gold. I don't know if you've heard, but I'm a big deal back home. I mean, my father was... I swear to Oshun, if you finish that sentence... Reject the subjugation and oppression of forced silence, my brother. The point is, I am African, and everyone except a certain ex-president knows that Puerto Rico is part of America. The math is mathing. I was the first. Primero. End of story. I'm sorry, but that decision is up to the audience. I was literally an African living in America. Estolo, run me my check. Um, we haven't promised anyone a cash prize. Uh, nigga, what? Are you saying we're performing unpaid work? Unacceptable. Final question for Mr. Garrido before we pass it to the audience. In March 1513, Ponce asked you to go on a short trip from Puerto Rico. It says here that you landed on April 3rd, 1513. Tell us about that day. It was Easter season. I had on my new custom-made outfit, complete with a killer conquistador cape. 
I was sharp, sharp as a brand new broadsword. But P-Man was on about this fountain of you thing, and he wanted to go check out this island he had heard about. And of course, I was down the ride. Always am. When we arrived, I was looking for some tenderonies when... Okay, we don't say tenderonies anymore either. So, fuck my entire vocabulary is what I'm hearing. Anyway, P. Nilly wanted to name the place. Flowers were everywhere, so we named it after the holiday near the Easter season. La Pascua Florida, the Feast of Flowers. I was wearing hard bottoms and was ready to go. Un poco like I am right now. And P. Flo was like, screw it, let's just call it Florida. I suppose... Land of now later colored linen suits was too hard to translate into Spanish. But in any case, they only stayed for five days and their discovery still arguably makes Garrido a two-time black founding father. A two-time, the first African-American, dos veces, which means I win. Again, that whole thing is up to the audience. On that note, let's take a few questions from the audience. You, ma'am. What's your question? Hi, um, pretty boy says he discovered Florida, right? Yo, how he gonna discover us when we was already there? I knew it. Okay, first of all... I'm not done. Ask him. No, no, no. Ask him what happened when those male sapiens showed up talking about they was claiming our land. But no, you don't want to talk about that, do you, Mr. Garrido? Ma'am, according to Spanish law, to claim a territory, you technically have to read a proclamation notifying the natives that they were now the subjects of the king. It was one of the first things I had to learn when I studied for my conquistador license, which I passed. Which I passed on my first try. The first try. Have you tried not stealing? Wasn't your daddy rich? Yo, why the fuck is this colonized apologist even regarded as a drapomaniac? That part? Answer quickly. All right, that's enough. Let's give Mr. Guerrero a chance to respond. Before I started hanging out with Los Gringos, I had no idea you could literally yell out that you claim this land and it automatically became yours. Look, I know this sounds crazy, but in the 1500s, very few process servers had ships with alternators strong enough to cross the Atlantic. This is how they claimed stuff back then. They literally just yelled that they claimed this land, and that was it. So, when Ponce showed up later without his handsome black friend, the natives weren't as friendly as Ponce assumed they'd be. That's why they owned so much real estate. I tried to tell Ponce that claiming stuff would get him killed, but I had to run down to Mexico to handle some business. And those boys set him up. It was a setup. I don't blame them, but let's call it what it was. Sir, I see you have your hand raised. You have something to add here? I'm one of the Calusa, the indigenous people of South Florida, and I want to say it wasn't a setup. I was there when Ponce Ponderee play, or whatever they call him, pulled up to the beach. Oh, I remember you. Ponce the rapper kidnapped one of my homeboys during his previous visit, Lil Tampa. His mama, Miss Bay, no relation, lived right around the corner from my uncle. Little Tampa promised Ponce we would have a welcome back party if they brought him home. So when Ponce and his crew pulled up with horses, supplies, and about 200 men, we had a party, all right. So he started some speech about claiming the land for the king and welcoming us to Spanish rule. Ponce had barely made it through the first two PowerPoint slides on stealing, I mean, claiming when he received a housewarming gift from the Calusa warriors, an arrow dipped in the sap of the Macanil tree, one of the most poisonous trees in the known world. 
they got him right in the thigh. Ponce's whole staff, crew, and record label put the ships in reverse and jetted back to Hispaniola. We heard Ponce died from the wounds in 1521, but it wasn't our fault. We're from Florida. We were simply standing our ground. Just so we clear the air, I have no issue with you, hermano. Look, if you came to my home and started talking about claiming my backyard, I'd stab you in the thigh, me too. As the famous Baltimore conquistador Omar Little used to say, it's all in the game, yo. It's all in the game. Heck, I wasn't even there. We'll continue after this break. How does AI even work? Where does creativity come from? What's the secret to living longer? TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions with some of the world's greatest thinkers. They will surprise, challenge, and even change you. Listen to NPR's TED Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. We're back. Let's continue with this episode. As Ponce de Leon's five-century plan to gentrify Miami Beach was failing rather spectacularly, Garrido was hanging out with a new conquistador colleague, Hernando Cortez. Because Garrido had just helped Spanish conquistadors claim Mexico, he was awarded with a small plot of land on a dried-out lake for his services. It was terrible, and almost nothing grew there, but... In his quest to make his land productive, Pretty Johnny became the first human being to grow wheat in the Americas. You hear that? Without me, there'd be no pound cake at funerals, no Krispy Kreme, no fried bologna sandwiches. I did that. Me. Okay, caveat. The first that we know of, because colonization kind of messed up the indigenous people's records. Unfortunately for Garrido, Everybody knows corn tortillas are superior to whole wheat ones. I said what I said. Go fight your abuela. So his flower plantation didn't make him a wealthy man. That's when his conquistador homeboy Cortez tempted him with one last heist. Now, Johnny was married and had children. and He was pretty much settled down. So he hesitated. Me and Cortez weren't that tight. Not like me and Pete Willie. Rest in power to a real navigator. Cortez called it an in-and-out job. I told him I was out of the conquistador game. I was almost old enough to apply for Social Security. Then, he regales me with stories about this magical island just west of Mexico, filled with naked black Amazonian women who controlled unlimited amounts of gold. He claimed Queen Khalifa ruled them, and she flew around on a winged lion with the head of an eagle. I told him to go easy on the ayahuasca, He swore on God, if there is a black woman with a bunch of gold, how could she resist the most handsome conquistador in history? Also, and I think we can all agree here, I'm too pretty to be a farmer, so we rode out to Hagel Island. That's when I found out all my mama doesn't mean much to people of no color. What Cortez and Garrido found was a barren wasteland. 
There were no black warrior women sporting gold herringbone necklaces or even a Cuban link. There were no eagle lions, no naked queens. It wasn't even an island. Govito returned to Mexico broke and disappointed. Cortez later named the newly discovered peninsula after that mythical black pagan warrior queen, the Califia. Yep, a black man was on the mythical island of California nearly a century before the Mayflower left England. And when Garrido put down his conquistador sword in 1538, his retirement party was a veritable who's who of conquistadors. Good evening and welcome to the 1538 Annual Conquistador Hall of Fame Induction Ceremony Red Carpet Livestream. Tonight, some of Spain's greatest old school colonizers have gathered to recognize the career of Juan Garrido, the flyest conquistador ever to do it, and listen to this complicated legend practically beg the king for his stimmy check. And oh, look, here comes one now. Sir, please tell our viewers who you are and how you know Mr. Garrido. In honor of my friend Juan Garrido, I am wearing black designers from head to toe. I got the Louis slippers, the three-piece tailored Gucci suit, and the platinum breastplate with the matching sword. Clock the drip. I can't let Juan out bling me. I thought you said you were wearing black designers. Who do you think sold us the fabric and tailored my suit? The culture vultures? <laughs> Good one. You're funny. He'll never tell you you're funny. How did you come to know Juan Gallido? How many black, handsome, Spanish-speaking world explorers do you think there were? Plus, Juan always was styling. When he helped me conquer Cuba, he did it in Stacey Adams and a Kango. Oh, I gotta go. They're about to read the Pobranza. This brings us to why we know so much about Garrido. He was literally applying for Social Security. Spanish conquistadors could apply for a pension from the crown, but to do this, they had to submit a probanza. We call it a resume. Then they had to get others to vouch for their service. So, after all the old school conquistadors gave their testimony, Garrido read his probanza. Ladies and gentlemen, the Conquistador Hall of Fame presents the 1538 Lifetime Achievement Award winner, Mr. Juan Garrido. I, Juan Garrido, black resident of Mexico City, appear before your mercy and state that I am in need of making a probanza to the perpetuity of the king, a report on how I served your majesty in the conquest and pacification of this new Spain from the time where Marquez de Valle Cortez entered it, all of which I did at my own expense without being given either salary or allotment of natives or anything else. As I am Garrido laid out his entire career in that letter to the king. He highlighted all the invasions, conquests, and pacifications carried out by him and all the various crews he allied with. His journey drew a wide map. Johnny essentially argued that he kind of invented outside. And also, as I went to discover and pacify the islands of San Juan de Borinquen, de Puerto Rico, and also, as I went on the pacification and conquest of the island of Cuba with the Adelantado Diego Velasquez, in all these ways, for 30 years, I have served and continue to serve your majesty. And that's why the black conquistador Juan Garrido claims to be the first African-American. 
He was in Puerto Rico. He went to a spring break in Florida. He hung out with the governor of Texas. But there might be someone else whose claim is even stronger than Garrido's. Next time on, your freedom is in jeopardy. The first African-American. Juan? The little musty thimble who let his homeboy Ponce get killed in a drive-bow arrowing? Uh, Respectfully, my brother, fuck out of here. We hear our other contestants, Black Steve and the collective's spokesperson. No, the people simply knew better than to drink from the same water supply they pooped in. And is someone getting sued? Nobody is getting sued. I mean, it's not a court, so... I get that you want folks to come back. I just read what I'm asked to read, Michael. Yes, of course. I'm just saying that... I don't actually write these. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to lie. That's all. You know what? You do it. I guess I'm back next week and learn about the Africans who sparked a slave revolt and lived in America a century before the Mayflower and come back to find out if the voiceover person goes with their plan to dump ants in Michael's car. Wait, wait. What? Who wrote this? Guys... Drake Toe Maniacs is a collaboration between Other Tone, Sony Music Entertainment, and Queer Media. This podcast is produced by Nolika Radway and Moses Shoyola, with senior producer Janicia Francis, managing producer Joanne DeLuna, and production coordinator Homero Radway. Executive producers for this show are Pharrell Williams and Scott Venner. Our team includes Silas Miami, Dallas Rico, Roderick Morrow, Randolph Sturdivant, and Danielle Solomon. This episode features Charlemagne the God as the voice of God, Brandon Victor Dixon as Black Steve, Angelica Ross as the spokesperson, and Panama Jackson as the game show host. Special thanks to voice actors Glory Radway, Audrey Anderson, Jillian Roberts, Andy Taradath, David Van Delden, Andrea O'Brien Vives and Jason Vives. Our sound engineer is Marcelino Von Callius. Our fact checker is LaPortia Thomas. Music supervisor is Tim Hotep Aku. The theme song is Freedom by Pharrell Williams. This episode features 96 by Black Noise and music by Richard Moultrie. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.